You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Father God, we know that you are with us, that we are not lost on you, that our lives are not lost on you, that this society is not lost on you, that this city, this state, this country, and this world is not lost on you. And yet, here we are, suffering this outbreak of a virus that is surely reminding us that we have far less control than we ever ever anticipated, maybe. Reminding us of our great need for something more than ourselves. Reminding us of our need for you. So Father, our prayer is that in this moment of suffering and in this hour of need, you would redeem it. That you would show yourself strong. That you would bring healing. And that in the midst of the waiting for the healing, you would bring hope. <laughs> that our lives would be centered on you. And that you would have the world's attention. Father, as the world has your attention, as the world gives you their attention, Father, show yourself strong. Be with us as a family, that our hearts and our minds would be set on you, that we would know your presence that surrounds us, above us, below us, before us, and behind us. In the name of Christ, amen. 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 All right, so if you have your Bibles, um, if you will go ahead and get it to Luke 17, we're going to look at a handful of texts this morning, and we're going to look at actually the first few verses of Luke 17, so if you'll go there, that would be great. Uh, I would appreciate that, and you can keep up. If you uh, have the kiddos with you, keep in mind that we have the... um, Big idea in the anthem will be made available soon uh, for the students and for the kiddos. All right, so Luke 17. So first thing I want to remind us of is that scripture, uh, scripture can reshape us. It can reshape us because it can relocate us in God's story. As we find ourselves overwhelmed by the stories in the media, uh, overwhelmed by the stories we are telling ourselves, uh, we need to remember that we. Need, sometimes we need to be relocated. We need to return. We need to return to the story of God. And Scripture can play that role. Scripture can shape us. And it gives us a chance. When we put ourselves before the Scripture, it gives us a chance to rediscover, and if necessary, return to love. Return to peace. Return to these signs of Christ's presence and reign in the world. We read about in the Scripture a day when there was rest and order and harmony, all creating peace and beauty flowing from God's love for His good creation. And we know of a time when we read the Scriptures where there will be uh, a time when rest and order and harmony and peace and beauty, all flowing from the love of God's good creation, uh, will be our, our forever. And in the midst of it all, we need to remember that even though we discover a conflict and violence and death and viruses and anxieties, uh, which ultimately this violence and this death and this conflict that we find ourselves in, in this, this side of glory, uh, we understand to be a result of humanity's attempt to grab at control. 
uh, and create for ourselves what only we can receive as, as gifts from God. We need to remember the gifts of God made available to us so that we don't find ourselves grasp, grasping for that control, uh, but that we grasp for the gifts that God has made available to us in Christ in real and tangible and practical ways. Um, but here's the thing. I'm not really sure we'll see the tangible and practical ways uh, in which God wants to um, give us these gifts if we don't at times put ourselves before the scriptures and let the scriptures uh, reshape us. Because if we find ourselves in fear and panic, which is the result of the cycle of fear, uh, then we, we will find ourselves wounded. And if we find ourselves wounded, uh, we will find ourselves grasping um, because we'll have needs we need to fill. And that will lead us toward grasping sometimes for things that are not good. Uh, I want to call this, this, this message, uh, this teaching, uh, the tyranny of wounds and the freedom of love. And what I wanted to offer you today is something I call uh, the cycle of, of wounds. And here's how I think it works. So the reign of sin and death that work in the world that uh, provokes the violence and the fear and the panic and the conflict creates within humanity and within our own lives needs. Uh, the needs that we have, needs to, or should I say creates in our lives, wounds. Wounds of hurt and wounds of betrayal, uh, wounds of insecurity, uh, wounds of sickness, wounds of death. And these wounds then create needs that we have. We need something to heal us. We need a way to cope uh, with the conflict and the fear and the violence. We need a way for which we can find our, our footing uh, in the uncertainty and the unknown. And then those needs lead us toward the sort of grasping, grasping for control, grasping for hope, grasping for help, grasping for ways to cope, um, coping strategies or behaviors uh, so, that we can, so that we can find those needs met and so that we can find our, our wounds healed. But the problem with that is sometimes what we grasp for. Our grasping for control and our grasping for ways to cope are grasping for ways to, to make it better on our own terms inadvertently leads us right back to the reign of sin and death that recycles more wounds, that creates more needs, that leads us to more grasping, that leads us back to the reign of sin and death, and the cycle goes on. Because the reality is we cannot keep wounds from wounding, we cannot keep needs from needing, and we cannot keep ourselves from grasping. But what we can do is choose what it is we grasp for. We can break the cycle of wounds. We can grasp for things that help us return to the realization that we are loved by God. The realization that God's presence can still be found. And so I wanted to look at scriptures and, 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 and maybe in some small way try to illustrate this. So Luke 17 uh, if you will. Now, <clears throat> before we get to that, I need to remind us that, that Luke 14 through 16 has happened, right? Because there's 17. Um, Luke 13, 14, 15, 16 are pivotal stories in Luke's, uh, Luke's gospel. The disciples have learned a lot about the unconditional love of God and the welcome of God. So we're stepping into Luke 17. We need to remember that before that, the disciples have learned so much about this life with Christ, about unconditional love and welcome and hospitality and forgiveness for all people. Uh, so that's where we are, Luke 17, uh, verse 1. If you'll, uh, if you'll read with me, that would be 
uh, great. Jesus said to his disciples, Luke 17, verse 1, there will always be something that causes people to sin, but anyone who causes them to sin is in for trouble. A person who causes even one of my little followers to sin would be better off thrown into the ocean with a heavy stone tied around their neck. So be careful what you do. Correct any followers of mine who sin and forgive the ones who say they are sorry. Even if one of them mistreats you seven times in one day and says, I'm sorry, you should still forgive that person. <laughs> the, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our, increase our faith. And Jesus replied, if you had faith no bigger than a tiny mustard seed, you could tell this mulberry tree to pull itself up, roots and all, and to plant itself in the ocean, and it would. All right, so let's step back. So disciples uh, seem to hear Jesus inviting them into a way of life that is so contrary to what they've learned. They have heard Jesus talk about laying their lives down, uh, forgiving people no matter how much they mistreat them, uh, more than they can count. This is a life that's hard. And maybe, maybe it's a life that's hard for them. It, and maybe it's hard because it's just so opposite of how they've been formed. And so their response is in verse 5 what? Increase our faith. I mean, if we're going to live this life, we're going to need big faith, right? Like, that's what they say. We need bigger faith, stronger faith. And I want you to hear what Jesus says because I found so much comfort in this. Man, listen. Jesus tells them, no. If you have even a little faith, just a little faith, like a mustard seed faith, then you will see how the impossible can become possible. It's like Jesus is telling them that when it comes to faith, you don't have to be a winner. You only have to be a worshiper. No matter how faint your worship may be. You don't grow in faith by grasping for more. I think that may be participating in the cycle of wounds. You grow in faith by returning to the Christ who makes the impossible possible. When we say otherwise, when we say that it is about the size or the strength of one's faith, then what we're saying is that we do not need a Redeemer who dies so we can live. We need spiritual resources. Spiritual resources are maybe a guru who can help us tap into our spiritual potential. And then we find ourselves falling prey to these spiritual fast talkers. And all we end up doing is wounding ourselves and creating more unmet needs that lead us to more grasping for things that we know in the end won't satisfy. And I think what Jesus is saying here is something else altogether. I think Jesus is saying it isn't the strength of the faith that matters, but the strength of the one in whom you place faith. Even if it's small faith, mustard seed faith, the impossible can become possible because any measure of faith turns one to receive what Christ is doing as liberating king. Any measure of faith, any measure of faith turns one to Jesus. Worship isn't about straining and striving to believe in Christ. It's about simply believing Christ. About turning to him again and again no matter how little we bring. The measure of our faith, church family, does not dictate the measure of God's grace. 
And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. And if you think about it, I think it, I think it really is true. Because James tells us in James chapter 4 that pride is what gets in the way of receiving grace. And so if you think about it, if we start taking great pride and having great faith, it could be possible we actually get in the way of grace. Because pride gets in the way of grace. And if we take great pride in what we believe to be great faith, then what we're going to end up with is great disappointments. And besides, the gospel doesn't promise success or things like great faith. It, it promises a different way of understanding life and death and resurrection. It, it promises a commitment to resurrection. It promises that Christ will never leave us because the promise of God's reign of unconditional love will hold us whether our faith is great or small. As Jesus tried to help his disciples and all other hearers understand in Luke 14, if you were to go back, the fact is, there is a great banquet that awaits. And the guest list that Jesus creates isn't the kind of guest list that we would expect. It's not a guest list of great faith. And at this great banquet, there will be no party poopers because the party is eternally unpoopable. It's not going to be about how great one's faith is, but how great God's grace is despite our faith. And so, if you follow along in Luke 17, you'll see verses 7 through 10, and we're not going to read that. It's, it's an interesting text, and I'll just kind of summarize it, but it seems like in Luke 17, 7 through 10, that Jesus wants to make sure that they can process what he said. So he, so he offers them kind of a mini parable uh, in 7 verse 10, and it seems like he wants them to make sure that they do not turn faith into an internal contest of big or small because to do so will just create more wounds. So he asked them the question. He says, so if you had a servant who worked 12 hours a day and they come in from the field, what do you say to this servant? Would you say, hey, have a seat. Let's make you, let me make you a big dinner. And Jesus says, of course you wouldn't say that. You would say to the servant to go grab your apron, get your pots and pans, and make me some dinner, and then after that you can eat. And then Jesus says, would you thank him when he does that? And then Jesus says, no, you wouldn't. He did his job. And then this is what I think Jesus is saying. He's saying, in the same way, remember that. Next time you want some kind of great faith or expect me to be happier impressed because you've mastered faith, you've got one job to do. It's like what Jesus is saying. And your job is to live for me and die for me, knowing that I'll be with you in life and knowing that I'll be with you in death. That's all I need from you. That's what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying, I'm not going to thank you for what you've done or be impressed by what you achieve because no matter how much of a winner you may think you are or others may say you are, your best work cannot live up to my standard, just like your tainted faith. And so I think what Jesus is saying is I'm just going to be with you in your life and I'm going to come to you in your death and I'm going to raise you up with my life and then I will say to you, come into my banquet room and let's have a party with all your friends. If you read that story, I think that's what Jesus means. That it is not the greatness of our faith, but it is the promises of God in Christ. And then, I think, our main text, you could say, Luke 17, verse 11, then I think Jesus um, 
demonstrates this in this particular act. So in Luke 17, verse 11 through 19, let's read that one. I, th I think it's interesting. Again, I want to pause. So Luke tells these stories. He tells this story, and then he situates this particular story. So Jesus is teaching. Now Jesus is about to, to demonstrate something. So let's, let's see what Jesus does. On his way to Jerusalem, verse 11 of chapter 17, Jesus went along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men with leprosy came toward him. They stood at a distance and shouted, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And on their way, on their way, they were healed. When one of them discovered that he was healed, he came back, he returned, praised God. He bowed down at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. The man was from the country of Samaria. And Jesus asked, Weren't ten men healed? Where are the other nine? Why was this foreigner the only one who came back to thank God? And then Jesus told the man, You may get up and go. Your faith has healed you. All right, so let's, let's dial in here. On the way back to Jerusalem, on the outskirts of town, Jesus and his disciples travel. That's the place where outcasts stay. So Jesus takes that route. He is encountered by ten lepers, people suffering from this unexplainable, very serious skin disease. And I think Luke, again, I think Luke puts it here because it acts out what Jesus has been trying to teach. So he's all for those. He's all for those society calls, calls losers who because of their wounds were dead to ordinary life. The kind of life he offers cannot be attained by grasping for more. Right? Like, I think that's the part of the, part of the story here. It just has to be received. Because a leper being marginalized and ostracized from society has nothing to give. Nothing. They were losers and outcasts in the eyes of society. Once diagnosed with this disease, they're forced into a life of social distancing. Their entire life, including families, and they become a part of this leper colony. So Jesus then tells these ten, go ahead and go to the priest, which is what the law of Moses would have told them to do. And the text tells us that on their way, they were healed. So as they walked away, they were healed. And it says that there were nine who just kept going. Right? Like, they had needs, man. These wounds of leprosy had created needs, and they were grasping for that certificate that they would receive by the high priest, which was kind of like a clean bill of health, and they could have their family. They could finally hold their family. They could go back to life and a vocation. They could go back to work. I do not blame them for running as fast as they can to get what it is they needed most. But the story changes my mind a little and it may change yours because what they thought they needed most was not what they needed most and this foreigner that one the text tells us that when he saw that he was healed he had to see it something happened when he saw it he turned around and he returned to Jesus he saw and he returned and in returning he praised and in praising he thanked and what does Jesus say to him? <laughs> that kind of faith. Like, like you've been healed. Like you're going to leave an entirely different person. 
He was the only one to experience the greatest gift of all, deep inner transformation. I want you to keep in mind that all ten were healed of their leprosy. All ten. But only one ends up being made whole. And maybe a way to think that through is only one broke the cycle of wounds. Because in his grasping, he grasped for something more. He grasped for the love of Christ. Jesus says, get up. Your faith has saved you. He redirected his grasping to the one who could meet all the needs rather than just the needs themselves. He saw that his relationship to Jesus and God's love through Jesus and by that alone is what raised him to life, bringing life from death, healing from hurts. So he saw, he returned, he praised, he thanked, and he moved ahead. Your faith has healed you, Jesus said. And I think that's it. I think that's the invitation. I think the way of breaking the cycle of wounds that creates the needs that are unmet, that leads us to the grasping, grasping for things that we think can fill those needs, I think the way to break the cycle of wounds is to grasp instead for those things that we think we need, to grasp instead for the reign of grace and the unconditional love of God in Christ. What does that mean? I think it means seeing returning, opening Scripture, returning to the Scripture, returning to the story, being relocated in a story, giving God praise, thanking God, and then moving on. I think the way we practically grasp for the realization of the love of God, I think one of the ways, at least, is to return to the Scripture, to return to the story, to have our lives relocated in the story of God. Because media is going to tell us we're part of a different story, and we are. But that is not the dominant story. So this kind of gets me back to the beginning. Scripture reshapes us, and relocates us in God's story. It gives us the chance to rediscover, and if necessary, return to the love and peace of Christ and His presence and His reign in the world. Because here's the thing. I'm not really sure that Scripture calls us to big faith. Jesus didn't seem to do that. But I am sure that the Bible calls us to big love. Jesus told his own disciples that every law and teaching will hinge on love. The Apostle Paul once said in 1 Corinthians 13 that I could have all faith that can move mountains, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. We are called to love. To receive love, to give love. But to first give love, we have to receive love. And to receive love, we have to break the cycle of wounds. We have to stop and tend to the needs that we feel we have unmet. Tend to what it is we're grasping for, to fill those needs. And then at that moment, choose. Choose to see and return to the love of God in Christ. Relocate ourselves in the story of Scripture. See the Christ 
and his presence and his reign in the world. Praise him, thank him, and move ahead believing that wherever you go, Christ is with you. Always. Above you, below you, before you, and behind you. All around you, Christ is with you. We're called to love. To see God's love. Return to God's love. Praise Him for His love. Thank Him for His love. And leave resting in His love with a commitment to love. So, I wanted to offer, um, I don't know, a practice, I guess. Um, here's, here's my suggestion. My suggestion is you go to the Gospels and you find three stories. Three gospel encounter stories. Gospel, uh, gospel stories, uh, encounters with Jesus, is what I mean to say. Like this leper story. And here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you to commit to reading those three stories over and again this week. Every day. Just at some point, because I'm sure you have time. At some point, sit down and just read those three stories. Not any more stories, just those three stories. And here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you to do something that my son's school teaches uh, him. I encourage you to narrate them, right? So I encourage you to read those stories for comprehension. Imagine those stories playing themselves out in your mind's eye. And then close your Bible and then tell that story to someone. Tell that story to yourself. Even like just just simply rehearse it, just like you would sing a song to yourself. Um, tell the story to yourself. Narrate the story. Let it get inside your heart, and see what the Holy Spirit does in that. See if that in and of itself doesn't break the cycle of wounds. See if when the wounds are revealed and the needs are created and the grasping starts happening, if the Holy Spirit, see if the Holy Spirit will bring to mind what Jesus can do, will do, and is doing in the midst of those needs and see if that doesn't redirect yourself toward the one who knows you best and loves you most, who is with you. See if it doesn't push you to praise and to thanksgiving and to prayer, to returning. Just see, see what the Spirit will do. That's my encouragement to you. See the love of Christ. Return to the love of Christ. Praise Christ for his love. Thank Christ for his love. And move ahead knowing that Christ is with you. And I believe the cycle of wounds will be broken. And right now we need to break the cycle of wounds. Um, let me pray. Father God, help us to see. Help us to return. Teach us to praise, to raise a hallelujah. Teach us to give thanks. And teach us to move ahead, trusting that wherever we are, there you are also. Teach us to let go of the straining and striving to have bigger faith, but instead to just turn toward you, the one in whom our, play, our faith is placed. And then teach us what it means to be loved by you just as we are, not as we should be, so that your love can transform us into who we can be and we can hear the words that you told the foreigner, the leper from Samaria, that our faith has healed us. Not because we did anything other than simply turn to you. So Father God, have mercy. Spirit of God, convict our hearts. And remind us that we are always welcome. 
at your table. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.